This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, And so are we. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as per usual, is the fantasy hockey robot himself to help me break down all the news of the past week, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody listening. Thanks for giving us your 90 minutes or so once again. Here's a fun behind-the-scenes fact. Sometimes something goes awry when Elon is opening the show with his big yes, and he has to repeat it several times, but he never loses an ounce of energy from that moment all the way through to the end of the show. We can count on you all the time, Elon. The Energy Elon. That's your nickname. That's the name I've got for you for this week. I think you might want to workshop that a little bit. But thanks. I appreciate it, Brian. I'll try my best. The only thing that's going to bring me down is if Henrik Lundqvist gets a shutout tonight, because that would be a real bummer for one of my matchups. But I don't think it's going to happen. He's against Buffalo. They are on the second half of a back-to-back, so you never know what could happen. They did score nine goals yesterday. Maybe they could have saved one for today. But anyways, we don't have time for any of that. We've got a huge show today. Lots of outjuries, lots of hot streaks and cold streaks, all the typical stuff we like to get to. And we're going to get to all of it just for you. Before we get started, of course, we must mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, which is the best fantasy hockey website out there. Like, we wouldn't even want to be presented by any other site because that's number one. It would be stupid to be presented by anybody else. They've got all the tools you need. I love Frozen Tools. I use it to prep the show every single week. You have to check it out. The player profiles give you all the information. you got line combos from every game, including in real time. Plus, they've got the articles, the daily ramblings. I love them. Cameron Robinson has daily ramblings sometimes. I love his stuff. Great site, DauberHockey.com. But okay, Brian, let's start with outjuries and specifically with goalie outjuries because we had four goalies come back last week after either missing some time or in some cases missing the entire season up to this point. Let's start in Nashville with Pekarine, who had a very nice birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Pekarine. He signed a two-year extension and then posted a 26-save, one nothing shutout over Boston in his second game back after being activated from the IR. His first game back after missing five games was also a gem. He, he won 4-1 over Tampa. He stopped 42 of 43. Fantastic. Brian, if you recall, back when we recorded our Almanac over the summer, we were apprehensive about Rene for a couple of reasons. Like, one, he had just choked in the playoffs, and you see Saros played well, so we thought maybe Saros could challenge. And then, two, Rene was scheduled to become an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, so we thought also maybe that's the reason why Nashville's going to start playing Saros more, you know, just in case they don't have Rene moving forward. But you know what? We're seven games in now. Rene has a 5-1 and one record. He's got a 948 save percentage. 
pretty clear at this point, he's a top fantasy goalie right now, right? Like, plus now that he signed his extension, we don't have to worry about this unrestricted free agent thing. Is there anyone at this point that you'd even prefer to Pekka Rene at the moment if you could have any goalie of your choice? Or are you going to blow my mind right now and say to sell high? Like, is there a chance that he might not be able to keep this up? Like, he won the Vesna last year and he's looking great so far. Pecorine is playing amazing right now. And I am going to, to, to crush the party a little bit and say that he's also playing over his head. But that also, like I need to acknowledge, that's something we've been saying about Pecorine, that he's been playing over his head for now three years, going back to 16, 17. For whatever reason, Rene has been playing some of the best hockey of his career in his age 34 35 and 36 seasons. So Rene Optimist might be saying that, hey, he's actually always been this good. And now we're seeing it for two years plus the start of another. So he actually, like, let's just count on this being Pekka Rene. But of course, I'm not a Rene Optimist. I'm a Rene Realist. And my outlook is that, well, first off, Pekka Rene, we need to acknowledge how great a situation he's in. He's playing on a top team in the league with one of the thickest decors in all the league. So that helps him. He's also got a very average penalty kill save percentage, which sometimes can explain unsustainably hot runs and sounds like a negative thing to say he has an average penalty kill save percentage. But no, that's actually a good thing. That means that all the success he's seeing is in a larger sample at even strength. So there's a little more hope we can see it continue rather than uh, see it uh, get in, uh, influenced by the volatility of what happens to a goalie on the penalty kill. But Rene is also 36 years old, and we've seen him have some small-scale breakdowns in each of the last two years that he has been largely very good in. So it's kind of like the fly in the ointment, right? So I guess I'd expect a larger fly in the ointment this year. Like, enjoy these runs for Rene, but know that it's all the more likely that he's going to struggle as the season marches on. If you could, like, I'm not saying sell high, but if you could sell him for like another first or second tier goalie and then do uh, upgrade another piece along the way, then I would absolutely do that. Like, look at the guys who are struggling, Holt B, Hellebuck, uh, Bobrovsky. If you can trade him for one of those guys and get a good upgrade on a forward or defenseman, absolutely, I'd go ahead and do that. But otherwise, if you're looking to live in the moment, there are a few hotter goalie options in the league Right now, you've got Halak, Gibson, Varlamov, Grice, and Dubnik uh, as his closest all situations comparables, and none of them play for a team as good as Nashville. Well, maybe Halak. Yeah, well, but Halak's not as guaranteed to get the starts as Rene. Though we'll get to Halak a little later. And yeah, I love your advice, Brian, of trying to trade for for a goalie that's not doing so well, but was drafted around the same place early on. Because as we've come to learn, goalies are so unpredictable. Rene's awesome now. Who knows if he's going to blow up later? But yeah, definitely. I don't know. We, not to say we blew it, but uh, in the Almanac, we were apprehensive. We didn't want to put him in our top tier. At this point, if we were doing the Almanac right now, I'd have, you know, in more goalies, I'd put him in tier one for sure. So then we got UC Saros. We had Matthew in the chat room saying he's pissed about all this Rene stuff because he drafted at Saros. Saros, you know, he had a couple good and a couple bad starts in Rene's absence. Like, doesn't seem like he's going to be taking the number one job anytime soon. He's not really challenging at the moment. Still, he's 6-2. and two. He's got a 9-17 save percentage. So I feel like he's still one of the best backups to own right now if your league is deep enough to hold backup goalies. I feel like whenever he plays, there's a good chance he's going to win. But like, what do you think? I guess it really depends on the situation. But if, if Saros is your third goalie and now that we've seen Rene come back from injury and, you know, like, sign this contract, would you drop him for someone maybe that's going to play more games like a Craig Anderson or Jacob Markstrom who could see more starts but would definitely be on your bench whenever your other two goalies are playing because they're not as great options like what do you do with a third goalie because I kind of feel like a backup goalie could be a really useful third goalie 
just because this is the third, like the first two goalies are the ones you want to play whenever they play. So you're going to be benching the third guy often anyways. But with Saros, I feel like you might even want to play him over your other two guys when he does get the call. Yeah, so that's it. And a lot of the answer to this question depends on exactly what you're looking for to get from this goalie position in your roster. If it's someone you need a lot of starts from, uh, Saros isn't going to help you there. If it's somebody you want a win, like if you just want an extra win a week, potentially, and uh, hopefully not blowing up your save percentage at the same time, then Saros is definitely your guy. He's 6-2 and two with a 9-17, like you said, Elon. And that's really about where I'd have expected Pekka Rene to be. It could still happen to Rene, of course. But this makes sense as like the floor for a Nashville Predators goaltender this year. So if you have Saros or if you want Saros, um, what you get from him is a great chance to win on any given night. And he's well protected by his team. And that gives him good chances to stop pucks but you probably can't count on as many starts as you would have been able to had Rene stumbled right out of the gate. It could still happen. Yeah, and remember when he got injured, we didn't even know how long he'd be out. So we were telling people, rush, grab Saros. Now you have to really think about it and decide if you want to hold him if you grabbed him at that point. Okay, let's talk about another injury now on Nashville. Victor Arvidsson has missed a couple of games with a lower body injury. We still don't know how long he's going to be out for. His owners obviously want him back ASAP as he's had a tremendous start to the season with 12 points in 12 games. Johansson and Forsberg have also been amazing to start the year, both over a point per game along with Victor Arvidsson. So that top line has been so, so hot. Yesterday, Kevin Fiala was on line one and Callie Yarncroft was on the top power play in Arvidsson's spots. Both of them could make decent streams if Arvidsson continues to be out. Though, keep in mind, Nashville only plays Wednesday and Saturday of next week. So don't grab one of them just to get like a game or two, especially because if Saturday's a busy day, you might not even play that guy. So keep that in mind, but they could be decent guys to play maybe in daily fantasy on FanDuel just because, you know, that top line or that top power, but those could both be really sweet spots. Nashville to me is kind of like Boston. They have one great forward line and then no other forwards to get especially excited about in fantasy. Brian, who's the fourth forward you like best on this team? If you could have one guy on Nashville that's not named Arvidsson, Forsberg, or Johansson, that's a forward. Here's something that might not come as a surprise for anyone who's listened to the show long enough. I like good old Craig Smith as my fourth Nashville forward. He's a boring but dependable choice. And if you look at where he's playing, he's playing on the second line with Kyle Tourist at even strength. And he's playing on the top power play too, although his top power play deployment has fallen off a little bit uh, over the course of this year so far. So he's not as dependable a piece there as he has been in the past, but He's still often there, has just one point in his last five games. So that doesn't help my like for him, but he is averaging about 16 minutes still along that stretch, along with th- three shots per game as well. Uh, while Arvidsson's out, though, I-, I would prefer Fiala, but if everybody's healthy, Craig Smith is the guy I'm going for. for Jankrok and Fiala are both tough because it seems like they either hit it big or miss entirely. Uh, if I'm reaching for upside, I would go Fiala, but if I'm just looking for steady, I go Craig. It's funny because I actually have a totally different name that I was expecting you to say. Like, I'd say my answer is Kyle Turris, who's got 11 points in 14 games. He's been so solid. Craig Smith has been kind of quiet lately. Yeah, Yeah, good one. You you gave me a a choices and I thought I was being clever by saying none of the above. And then you out none of the above me. (laughs) I mean, all I did was look at the point leaders. (laughs) But yeah, I've streamed already tourists in a couple of times in the couple and he's uh, usually produced. So 
good for him. But yeah, generally, none of these guys are worth holding. Dave, for the stream stream, stream scheme, fun show title to say. That's a, a bonus show just for the patrons to keep in cross and talk about which players to stream in and out of your lineup every week, depending on the schedule. He would definitely say to drop all Predators because of their bad schedule. And I concur, aside from that top three. And of course, defense. And of course, goalie. But Brian, okay, another nice return before we get to a couple sadder ones came from Roberto Luongo. He was the surprising starter in the second game against Winnipeg over for that two-game series in Finland. Luongo was amazing. He stopped 32 of 34 shots in a 4-2 win. Florida is very lucky to have him back as Reimer and Hutchinson were both just terrible in Luongo's absence. They both end the month of October with sub-890 save percentages. We considered James Reimer as a high-end backup going into the season, like potentially on a level with a UC Saros or maybe a Grubauer. It's like a goalie that could potentially take over the job. At this point, I feel like he's an easy drop with Luongo back, right? Like, got to imagine Florida's going to need to ride Luongo for a bit in an effort to get their season back on track. Like, I know you might say they need to rest Luongo because he's old, but at the same time, if they want to make the playoffs, I don't think they could be playing James Reimer. So Luongo is another goalie like Pecorine, who I've expected to, I've just been waiting for him to come down from a great 2016-17, and he hasn't. And yeah, I did say 16-17 because he stayed up Luongo uh, after that great campaign through 17-18 and now uh, through uh, barely any time, but still is still doing well this season uh, in his age 37, 38 and 39 years, uh, but also like Pecorine, I'm just waiting. I'm like, this doesn't give me a whole lot of extra confidence, Luongo. I'm still just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And when it does, you figure that James Reimer gets another chance. But at the same time, I am losing faith in Reimer's ability to ever really push Luongo in a meaningful way. Reimer has played below the level of an average NHL goalie this season relative to the types of shots he's been facing, like not by a ton but enough to be kind of wary about. And this has been going on for long enough that we are sort of wary about. So I'd probably let Reimer go in most leagues and then keep an eye on him for spot starts whenever they're scheduled to happen. His failure to really make a push while the, while Luongo was out just means that Luongo gets a little more rope when he does struggle. So Luongo owners should feel good about Reimer struggling in Luongo's absence. Yeah, I mean, if slash when he struggles, right? Like maybe Luongo will be good. He was great pretty much for all of last season, except for the times when he was injured. So yeah, Brian, I'm curious to get your opinion. Like what does a Luongo owner do at this point? Like his stock must be really high because Florida scores a lot of goals. He had this great return. Is it a time when you maybe try to trade him before he gets injured again? Like it's a risk to hold on to him. And like you say, maybe he'll also just slow down because he's getting up there in age. Like, is he the kind of guy that you hold on to and you're happy with? Or are you actively shopping him maybe for a goal that's not doing as well, but is like more reliable to just stick around all season long? Like, you know, maybe, I don't know, like a Martin Jones or whatever. Yeah, well, after two games, good luck selling high on a 957 Roberto Luongo unless you're looking at a team who's desperate for a goalie. You might be able to in that case. And if you do own him, yeah, like like I just finished saying, you're just waiting. Like the sky feels like it's going to fall. Like it should have fallen at least a little more, like at least somewhat over the last couple of years. So uh, there is a moment that's going to come where Roberto Luongo is going to struggle. And there might also be a moment where he uh, struggles due to injury and he gets injured again. And at that point, you have to wonder if Florida gets tired of looking at James Reimer, although they sort of have no other choice with the contract they've given him. So Elon, you asked about selling Luongo. Yeah. If you don't really need him and you can sell him to someone who really does uh, by all means, go for it because this isn't going to last forever. Is that 
I, I like. I'm assuming you need him. I'm saying if you want to trade him for a starting goalie who's like not doing as well, but like yeah, like you need him. You need a starting goalie who will be good. And it just if you don't want to rely on Luongo, but I think you've given your answer for the most part. Like hopefully he'll be good, but maybe you might want to get someone with a little less upside in exchange for a little more like reliability. So yeah, so, you okay. don't you don't want to be leaning too heavily on him. Well, yeah, I am leaning on him in one league. Not leaning on him because obviously I've done fine with him injured. I'd say obviously as if you guys know, trust me, I've been fine, but I'm hoping he'll be great. I could t- trade him if I wanted to, but I think I might hold on just because this Florida team looks so good. Like, look at these amazing forwards. Hashtag Team Dadanov is on an eight-game point streak. He's up to 13 points in 11 games on the season. He's been so, so good. Mike Hoffman is on a nine-game point streak himself, which is all the more impressive considering he hasn't even been on the top power play lately. He has nine points in 11 games overall, 42 shots. Then you've got Jonathan Huberto, who's got 10 points in 11 games. We had a question from Jason Kent on Twitter asking, would you rather have Mike Hoffman or Huberto for the rest of the season? Huberto gets that PP one time, but Hoffman gets more shots, which is not a category in this league, but leads to more points, and is left-wing, right-wing eligible, which is huge. And I answered saying I would go Huberto because power play one is just, I think, just such a great opportunity to get more points. But maybe do you think the shots in the extra position flip things for you? And also, of course, they could switch this power play at any time. They've done it before. Who do you like better between Huberto and Hoffman? So this is the sort of question that we anticipated heading into the season would come up. And Jason, uh, our Twitter friend, did a pretty good job of summarizing their pros and cons in the question he asked. Hoffman has picked up 18 of his 42 total shots on goal in just his last three games. So just keep that in mind if you're super pumped about his shot totals. Uh, There was a string where Hoffman was putting up ones and twos in the category rather than more meaningful contributions. But his shot rates are actually up for real on the whole. He's both attempting and registering more shots on goal. So that that bodes well for him, even though he might be seeing a little less time at even strength. Um, and then you look at Huberdo, who is averaging nearly three shots per game himself. That's not too shabby. It might look shabby next to Hoffman's totals, but generally that's going gonna, gonna to help you out a fair amount. And uh, as you said, Elon, Huberdo is getting the better deployment. I, I don't see much of a difference in which of Hoffman or Huberdeau has been more deserving of their numbers so far. Like neither one looks to be more or less sustainably scoring than the other. So I'm also going to join you in leaning Huberdeau as the guy I pick between them for his top power play role. Unless the reason you go Hoffman is if you want to trade off a handful of power play points for some big shots on goal outbursts that could potentially win you a week in your format. But that's a, that's a very league specific sort of decision. Right, and also this position eligibility, if you really need that right wing. Okay, one more guy on Florida, and then we'll move on. But Keith Yandel, up to 12 points and 35 shots in 11 games. Can you believe, Brian, I was offered a trade for Yandel. Like, I I drafted Kevin Shattenkirk, and before the season started in my PHL league, I just got offered Yandel for Shattenkirk. I was like, uh, okay. I clicked accept, and I'm so happy I did. Yandel's career high is 59 points, which he got in 2010-11. Are you going to take the over or under on him being able to break that this year. So far, he's on pace for like 85. I don't expect that to happen, but I feel like beating 59 is definitely in the realm of possibility. I'm going to go over on Yandel's career high. It just feels hard not to at the moment. The difference for Yandel so far this season has been his power play production. He already has two goals, three assists for five points, which makes up almost a third of last year's 18 power play points total. And of course, he's made up 
so much ground in not even a seventh of the season. Yandel's also firing shots with the man advantage like never before, even compared to his prime Phoenix days. And it's paying off from so far. Two goals on 17 shots, uh, which is high, but only like a goal high. So it's hard to see why not take the over on 59 points for Keith Yandel. The Florida power play has been so lethal and there's a chance they could even be more so with one of the league's lower five-on-four shooting percentages, but one of the league's bigger differences in their actual and expected goals for per 60 minutes that suggests there might be a little uh, unrealized value coming from that power play because of those shooting percentages. And of course, if there is, Yandel is going to continue be one of the to be one of the beneficiaries there. So I am a big fan of all the shots Yandel's taking and all the goals it'll help him score. And that super strong power play he's on, Elon, highway robbery that you were able to get him for Shattenkirk before the season started. Wow. Love it. And by the way, I know there's some Barkov and Trocek owners listening going, yeah, but they're not doing like as well as I expected them. Like Brian's saying, there's even room for this power play to improve. I have no concern about either of those guys. This Florida team, if Roberto Luongo could hold on, I think they could get themselves back into playoff contention before too long. Okay, let's go to a couple other goalies who returned that have not looked as good. So Scott Darling finally had a season debut on Tuesday versus Boston. He took the 3-2 loss, stopping 28 of 31 shots. So not great. Not bad by any stretch, like a fine return. Petr Mrazek then took the Friday game versus the Red Hot Coyotes, and he took a 4-3 overtime loss. Mrazek actually let in three first-period goals and then settled down for the rest of the game and did pretty well. Uh, And then Grabner beat him in overtime, so Arizona took the win. Then Scott Darling played yesterday, and once again, he let in three goals, this time on only 25 shots versus Vegas in the 3-0 loss. So that's two games now for Scott Darling, and he has an 893 save percentage, so right around his dismal 888 from last season. Morozik has been just as bad, like as well. Like he's got a 3 3 and 2 record and 880 save percentage over eight games. Curtis McElhaney's also there, but I can't imagine he's going to factor in too much. Do you think, Brian, we're just going to go back and forth until someone earns the net with a decent game? Is it just going to be Darling and then Morozik? Or do you think Darling will at least get some leash since he's just recently returned and Morozik didn't earn it? Like, what should, like, I, yeah, I'm just curious to get your sense overall. Like, is this back to being 50 50, no way to know who's going to take it? Or do you still think, like, Darling is in the lead? This is a job that I fully expect to yo-yo back and forth in Carolina between Darling and Morazic. It's a real shame that Morazic couldn't step up in what might have been the last chance he had to prove himself as a number one goaltender in the NHL. I know I'm no longer going to advocate for him to be a number one goalie in the league until I see a change. And it took me a long time to get to this point. I think I had one of the longer stores of patience for him, but it's been exhausted now. Only Jake Allen and Mike Smith have performed worse relative to expectation than Petamorazic so far this year. And then losing faith in those guys too, that they're capable starters. Uh, but back to Carolina, uh, you look at what Darling did in his first couple games. And that's a shame too. Like he was not able to erase any of the doubts created by last year's abysmal campaign. Like, you know, with Morazic's performance so far, the door is open, Scott. Walk right in. The tricky part of knowing what to do in fantasy with Darling and Morazic is that you should expect good things from them. Like they get to play behind one of the best teams in the league so far this year. The Carolina Hurricanes are up there with the best uh, in expected goals for and shot attempt differentials. So you should want whoever's playing net for them on most nights, but then you run the risk of wrecking your rate stats at the same time at least until one of these guys actually bucks up and shows he can perform, which I'm not holding my breath for anymore. 
Yeah, I feel like it's really tough to pick between the two. Like, which one do you want? And also, like, what do you do? Like, there's a lot of people who drafted Darling, stashed him in IR, and then have been waiting to, you know, get him back. And now at this point, if you have Darling and you have some interesting goalies in free agency, like, let's say, like, a Markstrom or Anderson, like I mentioned above, or if, like, Leonard and Grice are out there, or, like, a Saros, Grubauer, Reimer, like, all these different types of goalies that you might find in free agency, do you hold Darling? Because because he still, I think, has a chance to be the starting goalie over on this really good team. Though at this point, like I just don't have that much confidence. I feel like if I had to bet right now, I would bet on Morazic actually to get more starts. Well, that's the thing. I, I have no idea who's going to get more starts. So if you're deciding whether or not to own one of these guys, you've got to be okay with sacrificing half the starts and also some rate stats in the hope that... like the guy you have is going to find his game and pick up a win at a time that you need it. But that's a, it's a frustrating, it's such a frustrating thing to have a a really great team with no goalie. Yeah, that is definitely true though. They haven't been as great a team lately, right? Like Carolina hasn't been scoring as many goals. They actually switched up their lines midway through the game versus Arizona. A couple days ago, they put Andrei Svechnikov on the top line with Aho and Furland bumping Tara Vinen to, I guess, the third line with Lucas Walmark and Jordan Martinuk. Those lines held yesterday and also Warren Fogle got bumped from the Stahl Williams line that had been doing really well at the start of the season. Brock McGinn got up to play with Stahl and Williams. So Svechnikov, anyways, he's the one that I'm kind of interested in. He responded. He got a goal on four shots on Friday. Of course, it was pointless yesterday since the team got shut out. He only took one shot versus Vegas. Sveshnikov is very interesting, right? Like in a keeper league, obviously it's a whole different conversation, but in a one-year league, like Sveshnikov had a slow start to the season, only five points in 14 games so far. But I feel like if he was dropped in your league, which I've seen him dropped in a couple of my leagues now, do you think people should grab him for at least however long he gets to play with Aho? Though, I guess another question is how likely is, is it that they're, the Hurricanes are going to keep you know, Sveshnikov playing with Aho, considering they just got shut out. Their original lines were doing so well at the start of the year. I kind of feel like they will want to just go back to them. So here's the thing with Carolina that you just zeroed in on is that I'm here saying they're such a great team and they've really struggled lately. They won four of their first five. Then the Canes, uh, they're now on a four-game losing streak. They've lost seven of nine. And on this four-game losing streak, the Canes have scored just six goals. So it's not so surprising to see things get shaken up by a coach, especially a rookie coach trying to get his team going. I'm a believer that Carolina is not going to be down for long. And so I'm not getting overly concerned about what that means for their goaltenders or their scorers. It's just a matter for Svechnikov if he's going to find himself in the right place at the right time. Like if Carolina, if pucks start going in while he's playing next to Aho, then he probably gets to stay next to Aho. If it's another couple games of, of poor results with him playing next to Aho, then he probably goes down to the third line. So I feel like this really could come down to fortune or misfortune as to whether Svechnikov is worth grabbing. If you want to make a speculative ad and you have the roster space that you can afford for him, I would be happy to go ahead and add Svechnikov. Remember, he's a guy we'd hoped could score 25 goals. Others were hoping for 30 goals this season. The talent could very well be there. Uh, and to, to realize that potential for Svechnikov, some more 16-plus minute outings with Sebastian Ajo could be the catalyst. Yeah, I feel like I would be interested in Svechnikov, but I would wait until at least the next game's practice lines come out just to confirm that he's still playing with Aho because he is a talented guy. I think that he could do really well there, but he's got to be given the opportunity. Okay, let's go to another goalie that returned. Corey Schneider made his season debut on Tuesday. He jumped in versus Tampa after Kincaid got pulled in the 8-3 massacre. Then, just like Darling, he led in three goals in his first full game in a 4-3 loss to Detroit. He stopped 27 of 30 in that game. Keith Kincaid got the call yesterday, and he was great in the 3-0 loss to the Islanders. He stopped 30 of 32 shots. 
Kincaid has struggled a bit lately since his hot start, though. He has a 9-13 save percentage on the year overall, so it's not as if he's running away with the job. But still, my sense is that Kincaid is the starter and Schneider's going to have to steal the job from him. And to be honest, I just don't think that Schneider has it in him after all of these hiccups and, and like, issues, like, all these hip issues that he's been dealing with. Like, I just don't feel like Schneider has it in him anymore. We talked about it, actually, on our Patreon cast earlier in the week. I'm curious, like, do you concur? And, like, how do you expect things to turn out in the jersey net for the rest of the season? I totally concur with you that I am about over waiting on Corey Schneider, just like I am Peter Morazic. Like, I, I think I'm turning a corner on my past goalie assumptions, and I'm sort of finally giving up the ghost on a couple guys I was holding a candle for. But Schneider's older, another injury behind him now. Uh, and we look at last, we don't have to go very far back to see him being awful. Last year, he only had 45% of his starts as quality. That means we're league average or better in save percentage for the most part. And 45% number in that measure is very, very bad. Less than half the time he was a league average goalie. And like one out of every six starts saw Schneider with a save percentage below 850. So this is why even before the season started, I'd I'd given up on Schneider ever returning to form. This is Keith Kincaid's job now. And, um, even if he struggles, Schneider is kind of an impotent challenger until further notice. And by the way, Kincaid has a positive delta save percentage, which means he is outperforming his expected save percentage just by a little, but still, that's better than not. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And of course, like I think early on in the season, like I think Kincaid's getting a lot from like these first through game first like few games where he was amazing and then he's been worse lately. So like your numbers for the whole season, I don't know if they tell the whole story. Obviously, as the episodes go on throughout the season, we'll be able to be more specific and be able to rely on these numbers a little bit more. Brian, okay. We still have some more outjuries to discuss, but we got through the goalies and before we move forward, let's take a second to thank our sponsors for this episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the place to go when you want to get tickets to events because getting tickets online can be far too complicated there's hundreds of sites out there varying levels of reliability it's hard to know who to trust that's why SeatGeek is the way to go because they pull millions of tickets into one place so you could easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay there's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value in fact i'm supposed to at this point tell you about an experience i had with SeatGeek which i'd be happy to do but we actually had a patron peter who used the SeatGeek promo which brian will tell you about in a bit and this is what he said he said well i have a feeling this testimonial is going to get on Sunday's show. He wrote this in our Facebook group. He's saying, I was trying to buy a Fleetwood Mac ticket and the offers were terrible on Kijiji and uh, another ticket site, which I probably don't want to name on this show. But like, and I just got a floor seat on SeatGeek, which after the keeping discount costs only $71. Those seats are going for more than 200 on other sites. And Kijiji dude was offering them for 300. I was skeptical about SeatGeek, but now I'm sold. Brian, our listeners can also be sold on SeatGeek. I'm glad you had a good experience. Peter and Brian, how can other people get this discount to get an even better deal than what they're seeing just on the site by default? All right. Yeah, you can you like Peter can get in on the action and get an even better deal on an already fantastic value ticket by listening to our podcast and hearing this promo code and then entering it into the app when you do it. All you need to do, download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code keeping. That's promo code keeping for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And then uh, let us know how it went. Let us know how great the deal was. Okay, so Brad, you're not going to say the their their amazing new slogan they've come up with? Seat Geek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. Boom. 
Good job. I still like ours from last year. Be a geek, get a seat. <laughs> you say that every time. Every <laughs> week you just reaffirm that you still like ours from last year. Yeah. I, so you can come up with something a little better, I think. Or, or just use ours. And I, we won't even charge you for it. But okay. All you did was repurpose the two words that make up the compound word that is their name. Hey, the, you know, genius is sometimes in being precise and quaint. But okay. If someone didn't hear it, what was it? Be a geek, get a seat? Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> Embrace being a geek. Being a geek is the new cool thing. Look at Christian on Survivor. He's doing great. It's the Look at the go. Big Bang Theory. Look at Sheldon. Look at young Sheldon. Uh, don't watch that show, Brian. I'm a cool geek. But okay, <laughs> can we please move on? We've got some big... That was the outreach. joke. <laughs> big outreach to discuss, including Big Joe, Joe Thornton, returned to the Sharks on Tuesday. Nothing in his first two games back, but he did score a goal on his one shot that he took yesterday. So that's two points in five games now for Joe Thornton on the season. Looks like Thornton actually spent some time on the top line with Pavelski and Evander Kane yesterday in the 4-3 OT win over Columbus, but was also out of the top six for a bit with the two most played units being Pavelski, Kane, and Donskoy, and then Couture, Hurdle, and Timo Meyer. Thornton also only saw 44% of his team's power play time as he was off the Pavelski, Couture, Hurdle, LeBanc, and Brent Burns unit, which saw the most time. So at this point, I wonder, like, is Thornton still fantasy relevant, or is he kind of like Henrik Sedin from a couple seasons ago, where he'll get you like an assist every once in a while, but he's not helping you in shots, and he's not even getting the amazing deployment. And actually, I think Henrik Sedin was getting the amazing deployment all the way down the stretch, so things might be even worse for Joe Thornton. That's a pretty apt comparison, Elon. This is an older guy who knows how to stay relevant in the league by being an amazing passer and making the most of every movement that he and every inch of iota of effort that he exerts on the ice. But it doesn't necessarily translate to fantasy relevance. Thornton's upside is certainly limited. I had him about 55, 60 points heading into the season. And that was assuming that he was top line, top power play, which uh, Thornton isn't getting you as, uh, as you mentioned, Elon. So that's what I'm waiting to see now. Uh, Just how does Thornton end up getting deployed? Is this where he stays in the lineup? Is there room? Is there some upward mobility possible? If Thornton is a free agent in your league, you've probably got time to wait and leave him there, especially if your league devalues him because of his low shot output, or if your league has a goals bonus because he is mostly just going to be dishing passes rather than putting any pucks towards the net. Yeah, I mean, if you have Thornton, maybe hold him for at least one more week. San Jose plays four games next week, including on Friday and Sunday, which are useful off-day games to get. But if he doesn't do anything in that week, then I think it's time to let him go, unfortunately. Still maybe valuable to the Sharks, but not so valuable in fantasy. Okay, so Brian, some interesting hot streaks and cold streaks on the Sharks that I'd like to discuss. First of all, Brent Burns, he's on fire. He's already up to 16 points in 14 games on the season. Also, the Couture, Hurdle, and Meyer line are all at or above a point per game. They've been amazing. Unfortunately, Tomas Hurdle left yesterday's game with a head injury after being hit by Christian Folan, so we don't know the extent to that injury. Hopefully, Hurdle will be okay. I want to quickly dig into Timo Meyer though, whose two goals yesterday brought him up to 11 goals and 16 points in 14 games. That's crazy. 11 goals in 14 games for Timo Meyer. We predicted he'd be good, but not this good. Brian, is this production from Meyer sustainable or fleeting? Like, Are we looking at a potential 40, 45, 50 goal scorer? Not this year, at least. That's going far. Let's take a quick check-in at Meyer's shooting percentages. So he has seven goals on 34 even strength shots, two goals on eight power play shots, and altogether Meyer has scored 11 goals on 46 shots for a 24% conversion rate. So seeing some shooting luck there. But outside of that shooting luck, I'm still feeling pretty good about Meyer. The big discussion preseason was how long he could hold a relevant top six spot. 
And the answer is now 14 games and counting. And it feels unlikely that Timo Meyer is going to lose this deployment while he's clicking at the rate that he is. Obviously, he's not going to continue on a 64-goal, 94-point pace. But expecting him to land around 30 goals, 60 points with this kind of deployment is perfectly reasonable. For as long as, for as, long as he's on the top line, it remains Timo time. Should be owned in every single league. Yeah, and that's interesting that you even call it the top line. Normally, we think of the line with Joe Pavelski as the top line, but he's been kind of cold lately. Like, a, a couple cold streaks on the Sharks. Like, first of all, there's Eric Carlson, who I don't really want to get into because it just makes me too sad, but he still hasn't done what I was hoping from him when I picked him in the first round in a couple leagues. But then you have Joe Pavelski, who has a nice six goals in 14 games. That would be great if he didn't have zero assists. And patron Matthew asked us to talk about Pavelski. So here you go, Matthew. you got to imagine he's a buy-low candidate at this point, right? Like, he must just be having bad luck where people aren't converting after he passes them the puck. Like, he's scoring. He's just not getting any assists. It's so weird. Pavelski, come on. Yeah, I think there's room for him to come on. He's been on the ice for five power play goals. He scored two of them, uh, did not pick up an assist on the other three. And then at five on five, if Pavelski isn't scoring, then nobody is. He's been on the ice for five goals, and Pavelski has scored four of those five Uh, The Sharks are only shooting 4% with Pavelski on the ice so far. That's going to change. So go ahead and buy low on Joe Pavelski from anyone who thinks he's simply slowing down at age 34. Like, sure, maybe Pavelski is not a 70-point guy at this stage in his career, but he's probably still got at least 60 in him and a good shot for 65 once everything uh, progresses back to the mean, as I think it should lot of sense so yeah maybe 60 65 point guy then with upside for more if things start to click for him if people start scoring maybe an above average shooting percentage while he's on the ice that you can't guarantee will happen but it's possible just like it's possible that he's going to continue to struggle like he is now not really his fault he passes you the puck then you got to do something maybe he should be passing better i don't know we got to watch these games and see but it seems like pavelski could definitely be doing a little bit better and he's having some bad luck okay another outjury tory krug finally started his season with the boston bruins he had an assist and no shots versus carolina on tuesday and then nothing but two shots, two hits, and two blocks in the one nothing loss to Nashville yesterday. Not much really to say, though, about Tory Krug. I feel like, it, for the purposes of advice on this podcast, he jumped right to the top power play, as expected. McAvoy and Grizzlick are both injured at the moment, but Krug was going to get on the top power play regardless, so it's not like that's a factor. Krug had a career-high 59 points in 76 games last season. Do you have any reason to expect anything less this time around, or is this what we're looking at at this point? Tory Krug, 60-point guy, once he gets rolling. Yes, same as usual for Tori Krug, although I guess I should clarify that, you know, you're saying should we expect any less from Tori Krug, but we also shouldn't expect any more from Tori Krug. He's in his age 27 season, and you should just be counting on what we've been able to count on for the last couple years now, which is about a, he'll pace for about a couple hundred shots, close to 20 power play points and 60 points on the whole, and you should be very happy with that. Yeah, I feel like a guy like Tory Krug, who's he's very dependent, right, on being on this top power play and cashing in on all the power play points that Boston's able to get. So it's not as much up to him. Maybe it's kind of like up to if you expect Bergeron and Marshawn and Pasternak to be able to keep it up. But I agree with you, Brian. In the end, like 20 power play points seems reasonable. I really like Tory Krug. If you could, if he has like another one or two bad games, I'd be happy to try to make a trade offer for him and get him before maybe he gets back into game shape. Maybe it's hard after missing the whole season with an injury. Sure. I do also want to like make sure, though, that we're not just saying Tori Krug is just just happy to be there on the top power play unit while everybody else does well around him. We've seen McAvoy in that spot. We've seen Grizzly in that spot. Like Tori Krug 
has something to offer there. He is not just riding coattails. Yes, that that's true. Like, obviously, he's going to have to, like, you know, he, like like Joe Pavelski, right? Like, he's going to pass the puck to someone or he's going to take a shot, but he's depending on someone to score on the rebound or to score. But yeah, Tori Krug is really good. We've been a fan of his for a long time. Happy to see him back and going. And of course, since we're on Boston, we have to mention Yaroslav Halak, who got the start yesterday and was amazing. Once again, he's up to a 952 save percentage in eight games. Just incredible. Rask, is in the meantime at uh, like a 902 save percentage in six games. I feel like at this point, let's just end it. Like average time on ice asked on Twitter, how long we're going to talk about Halak today. And I feel like the answer is not long because there's nothing more to talk about. We've said it. Halak is going to steal the job at this one. He's stolen the job. And until something changes, just, you know, status quo. Yaroslav Halak is the top goalie on Boston and maybe a top goalie in the league with the way he's been going so far. Boston plays Monday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, next week. So it'll be interesting to see if both goalies get two games or if Halak gets three out of the four. Halak is still only 59% owned in Yahoo, which is crazy to me. Like, I feel like another way to put that is 41% of Yahoo leagues are clown leagues because how could you not want Yaroslav Halak at this point? Like, what more does he have to do for you? Uh, Yeah, no, he's doing great. If you got him, I'm guessing that Halak is going to start. He could start three out of four games this week for the Bruins. I, I feel like... At the same time, while Halak certainly has the upper hand now, the Bruins are over Rask, I should specify. I feel like the Bruins are still slightly reevaluating after each start. This is this luxury that they do have where they can switch between Halak and Rask at will and not do great damage to their chances of winning. Like their season is not going to rely upon who's playing goalie. So if they're looking for a reason to get Rask in after he sat for three games in a row and Halak puts up a 9-10, then sure, throw Rask in. And then, like, it still feels very game by game. But uh, I think I, I'd qualify it best by saying that Halak does have the upper hand at the moment and feels to me like the 1A. Yeah, and also, it's not just like Halak has the upper hand at the moment. Like, Brian, you called it. You did intense, deep research over the summer and determined that Halak has been the better goalie for the past couple of years. It was just Rask was getting easier games and Halak was having a tough time on the Islanders with a lot of, like, really challenging shots coming his way. So you already concluded that Halak's the better goalie. Now he's showing it. So even if Halak has a bad game, I feel like it's going to be tough for Rask to do any better. So yeah, great situation for him. And he's taking advantage. And I'm really happy to have him in a couple of my leagues. Okay, let's go to the Anaheim Ducks now they're on a terrible seven game losing streak and continue to in and out burger with Nick Ritchie, Josh Manson, uh, Max Comtois. They're all injured. Silverberg and Patrick Eves returned. So that's good for them. Silverberg got back to his familiar lot in life as he was playing with Kessler and Cogliano on Thursday. He's also been on the top power play since his return. He actually scored a power play goal versus the Rangers on Thursday. Anaheim plays tonight. So uh, the ha- game hasn't started yet, but we'll see how they do. Uh, but yeah, Silverberg, he's got eight points in nine games now. Do you think this could be a career year for him now? Now that he's got that power play one spot with Corey Perry out, normally he's not there. But there's no Corey Perry. It's Silverberg's time. Maybe it's Silverberg's time. I would rather it have been Silverberg's time two or three years ago. Uh, let's see where these points are coming from for Silverberg. He has a single power play shot on goal and he scored on it. He's been on the ice for five, five on five goals. And he's gotten a point on all of them. That's 100% IPP. Silverberg has taken 14 shots. He scored on four of them at five on five. So if we were looking at the Silverberg of two, three years ago, the one who cleared 200 shots without much doubt, I'd be a little more excited. I mean, I am happy for Silverberg's power play one deployment for as long as Corey Perry is out, but there's no reason to believe that Silf is going to do any better than his usual 40-point pace, plus, say, a 5-10 to point bonus, depending on how long Perry's out and how long he can hold on to this 
spot that he's found on the top power play. Silverberg's career high is 49 points. Not a terribly high bar to clear, which does make it easier to try and take the over on that bet and say, yeah, Silverberg is going to set a career high, but it's not quite impressive or as impressive a feat as it might sound. So I could see Silverberg landing right around his career high 49 points in this best case scenario where he's playing on the second line at even strength and getting top power play deployment. Hmm, so not too exciting. It sounds like if you're saying he has upside for maybe like 50 points, and that's if he gets this amazing deployment. Oh, well, we'll see. It's up to him to now prove you wrong. At least he's on Anaheim, which is a great team to own players on because of their strong off day schedule. Okay, so uh, we've got Patrick Eves finally came back since forever ago. Like he played one game last season, but really it's two seasons ago at the end when he got to the Ducks and was doing so, so well pay- playing with, I guess, Getzlaff and Corey Perry at the time. Eves slotted in with Henrique and Isaac Lundestrom on Thursday. He he didn't play much, which is fair, as it's been quite a while. Got to imagine he gets another shot playing with Getzlaff at some point. As last time he was there at the end of the 2016-17 season, they really clicked. I think it was like uh, five goals in nine games. It was some like really nice run for Patrick Eves at the end of that season. Right now, though, he'd have to bump Pontus Auberg from the top line with Getzlaff and Raquel because Auberg got on that line on Sunday. He popped two goals versus the Sharks. He stayed there on Tuesday versus Philly, scored another two goals. He had nothing on Thursday versus the Rangers, but he did take four shots and played a season-high nine. 19 minutes and 38 seconds. So Brian, who is Pontus Auberg? Like, I feel like I've probably asked you this before. I recall he was on a run with Nashville. I guess it was in the playoffs a couple of years ago, but I think everyone here could use a refresher. And what are your thoughts on Auberg as a streamer next week? Anaheim plays Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. So a smart streamer could add him, get three games out of him, then drop him for the weekend and still get a couple of games out of the many teams that are playing both on Saturday and Sunday. He would make a pretty good stream, and here's why he might be worth your while. Uh, first off, who is he? Pontus Auberg, five foot eleven, native of Stockholm, Sweden. He was drafted by Nashville early in the second round of the 2012 entry draft. He's now 25 years old and with his third NHL club. And Auberg has proven productive, at least in the minors, with 60 points in his last 62 games over the past three seasons in the AHL. Much of those games coming uh, not this year, not last year, but the year before that. Then he's just played a handful of games uh, since then. But still, nearly point-per-game player in the AHL. And Auberg has really yet to be handed a top six or, or top nine offensive role with an NHL team, which is like one of my pet peeves and has been forever. I, I still remember when Jason Spezza was like trying to break into the league and he was crushing it in the minors. And then every call up he'd get to this to the Ottawa Senators, Jacques Martin would put him in a checking role. And he's just like, is this, this is where you want Jason Spezza to succeed? Why don't we just put him, he's a scorer, put him in a scoring role. So finally, we're going to get to see what Pontus Auberg can do in a consistent scoring role, He's so, which makes him one of the more interesting flyers to appear as a third piece on this top line in Anaheim with Getzlaff and Raquel. We've seen a lot of guys go through that revolving door, uh, even back when it was uh, Getzlaff and Corey Perry. And some of them we never had much hope for to begin with. But this, in Omberg, we've got a plucky young winger with some offensive chops. So I'm curious to see what he's going to do with the time, which makes him worth a stream. Just don't expect him to keep scoring on 29% of the shots he takes. Uh, However, it does bode well for Omberg that he has taken two or more shots in each of his last four contests, including four shots on goal in his most recent one. That's great. Keep doing that. Yeah, keep doing that, Pontus. And of course, the big concern also is, like I said, Nick Ritchie is injured. I believe Ritchie, after coming back, uh, you know, and signing his contract, I think he was playing on the top line before he got injured again. So he could bump Auberg. But if Auberg plays well, like uh, Anaheim's not exactly scoring a ton of goals. So they'll do whatever they can to keep 
any goals coming because it's been tough for them lately. Let's go to the St. Louis Blues now. Another outjury. There's another nice one, like just like Patrick Eves, where it's really nice to see him playing again. I'm also really happy to see Robbie Fabry back in the lineup. He had an assist versus Vegas on Thursday in his return. Nothing yesterday in the embarrassing 5-1 loss to Minnesota. Not even a shot for Robbie Fabry, which isn't great. But again, I'm happy to see him play because it's been forever since he's played. He got injured. He missed all of last season. Like this was a guy who at one point was a prospect that we were interested in. Like he was drafted very high. I'll get into the line combo. Like, I could get into the line combos for St. Louis and tell you, like, where Fabry's been playing. But to be honest, like, they shuffled them around so much yesterday trying to get something going versus Minnesota. I imagine we'll see something new and exciting come Tuesday. So let's not even dig into where he's been playing so far. It's possible he gets in the top six. Maybe not. Brian, is Fabry someone on your watch list? He was, like I said, at one time a highly touted prospect with upside. But that just feels like so, so long ago at this point. Before critiquing Robbie Fabry, let's, uh, let's note two things about him. First... Fabry's Thursday game was his first NHL action since February 4th, 2017, which is like forever ago. That's almost two calendar years. And then remember that Fabry played just under nine minutes in that debut, followed up by a game where he played 14 and a half minutes, uh, still not in any sort of scoring or prime role. So you got to give him some time to give him his legs back before you get too hard on downplaying his expectations. But what should our expectations be? Well, with top six deployment, I feel like Fabri's got a real shot at being a relevant fantasy contributor, worth more than the replacement guys at the top of most leagues free agent list. But he does need that deployment and nothing ever really seems to stick in St. Louis. So you're sort of looking at Fabri the same way you would someone like Alex Steen until further notice, until we get a better sense of A, what he's capable of, and B, if and where he where he might be able to stick in the lineup. Mm-hmm, yeah, so he's, I mean, kind of like a Patrick Eves, right? Like, if he gets in a good spot, something could good could happen, and he's done well before, but it's been so long, it's really hard for us to rely on anything big until we see something happening. Who interests you more right now, Brian, on the Blues, between Robbie Fabry and this other guy, Zach Sanford, who had a five-game point streak broken yesterday, but seven points in seven games on the season so far for Zach Sanford. That's what happens when you play with Ryan O'Reilly, apparently, like Sanford has been doing. Who's this guy? Is he on your radar? And who do you like between him and Fabry? I like Robbie Fabry more than Zach Sanford. Zach Sanford was picked 61st overall by Washington in 2013. And uh, since then, he'd only managed 39 games of NHL action going into this year. And he had just eight points in those 39 games. Unlike someone like Pontus Auberg, though, Sanford has never really been one of the better scorers, even like where he's been in college, sure, but not in the AHL. Just seven points over 20 games last season with AHL San Antonio. So, Elon, you pretty much nailed it when you said that's what you get. Uh, what Sanford has given you is what you get uh, when you play with guys like Ryan O'Reilly uh, and whoever else in the top six in St. Louis. He is completely line dependent, more so than Fabri, I think. And there's no reason to believe that Sanford's production continues. I would rather take a flyer on Fabri than on Sanford. Hmm. Okay, so two follow-ups there. First of all, you're saying Fabri. I'm saying Fabri. How confident are you in the pronunciation? I am fairly confident that it's Fabri. Okay, so I will say Fabri, like the cleaning product, right? Febreze? Yeah. Okay. Do people make that joke? Is that a thing that people have been... Is there like fantasy hockey teams named the Febrezers and then they have him holding this like spray? <laughs> 
That would that's a that's a free idea for anyone out there. Yeah, or maybe an episode title for you, Brian. But maybe we have to wait for Fabri to do something first. Second question is, yeah, like I feel like I'd rather just take Zach Sanford just because he's the one playing with Ryan O'Reilly, though maybe they're gonna shake things up, like I said, after this terrible loss. Uh, another power play assist for Vince Dunn yesterday. That's now seven points in ten games overall. You may be approaching a clown league if he's still available, just like Halak, like I said before. Like Vince Dunn seems to be a fixture on this top power play. Am I wrong? So I have Vince Dunn available in a league where I'm holding out hope for Shattenkirk. Like you hold three defensemen, that's it. You never want to hold more. Shattenkirk's my third guy. I have Shea Weber stashed. I have 24 moves left for the year. I don't think I'm going to add Vince Dunn, but it is crazy that nobody else has. You should. He's he's like we we are finally going to say for the first time in like the year and a half this has been going on. Vince Dunn is the St. Louis top power play quarterback until further notice. That's just how it is. So you should own him. He should be owned in all leagues. Yeah, Brian, figure something out. Shattenkirk, come on. Neil Pionk just scored again today. I feel like Shattenkirk is, uh, well, we'll see. Like, he was getting some more power play time recently. I'm not sure if it was the top power play or the second power play, because sometimes, you know, the second unit gets more time. Right now, by the way, the Rangers are winning 2-0 uh, going into the third period. We really need Buffalo to score a goal, Brian, for us to win our matchup in our joint league. So come on, Buffalo, just score one. Also, uh, going back to the Anaheim talk, apparently Ryan Getzlaff isn't playing today. He's day-to-day, which always sucks. And obviously that also is bad for Alberg and like everyone else on the team. Man, poor Anaheim. Just come on. Anyways, okay. But zooming back to St. Louis, now that we've confirmed that Vince Dunn is the top power play guy, are we going to start giving permit people permission to drop Alex Petrangelo at this point? Brian, should we drop him in our joint league? He had that nice three-point game last week, but another two pointless outings since. He's now up to only four points in 12 games overall. At Jimmer647 on Twitter asks, I keep crossing Schwartz and Petrangelo in snoozer territory. Should I drop them for other hot wire ads? Because yeah, Jaden Schwartz also only four points in 10 games, but let's leave him for another week. But Alex Petrangelo at this point, like it's getting crazy, right? Maybe just let him go. I, it's so hard. I want to say yes, but it's never a good time to drop someone with Petrangelo's upside for nothing at all in return because, well, you've probably put a lot into grabbing him and adding him on your team, but at some point you do have to have to cut your losses and be okay with sunk costs. Here's the thing. If your team can withstand holding Petrangelo in a roster spot, then then do it. Like I don't think there's much reason not to, but if you can't withstand wasting a roster spot on Petrangelo, waiting for him to come around. And there's also a replacement in free agency that you could replace him with uh, who would actually make a meaningful difference in your matchups. Then yeah, maybe the time has come to finally let go of Alex Petrangelo. One telling number with him is 20 shots on goal. And that's an only 20 shots on goal in 12 games. His shot and shot attempt rates are way down at five on five. And it's really hurting those who hope for more than two shots per game based on his recent years, at least to tide hit them over until he starts putting up points. Like, okay, uh, Petrangelo has only gotten in on two of the nine five on five goals he's been on the ice for. So that's a reason that some people might say, yeah. Yeah, there's still some room for things to improve. He's just getting bad luck. But even with a couple more points to even out what should be unsustainably poor variance that's affecting his numbers, Petrangelo is still barely pacing for above 40 points, which is not what anybody drafted him for. So you should feel free in a shallower in a shallower league to let go of Petrangelo in a deeper league. It's almost like you you really have to weigh him against who you're going to actually be able to replace him with on your roster. Or if you're turning it into a streaming spot, 
make sure it's actually going to help you rather than just ditching him. Yeah, I guess one thing that I like to do is think about if I drop someone, is are people in my league going to jump on him and like use their waiver priority to get him? You know, like if someone like Jake Muzzin or whatever has been dropped in your league and no one's cared about that, then probably you could drop Petrangelo as well. But like you, you probably have a sense of your league because I feel like if you could drop him and no one adds him, just make sure you have dibs to get him as soon as he does better. Like, you know, as soon as you see him get a point, be the first one to grab him back because he clearly still has the potential to be good. But there's no point holding him while he's doing nothing and there's no guarantee he's ever going to do something now that Vince Dunn is the guy there. Okay, so Brian, uh, in the vein of Sanford and Auberg, maybe I'll formalize this question that I always ask you and make an official new Keeping Carlson segment called Who is this guy? And in this segment, I'm going to ask you about players on hot streaks that casual hockey fans may not even have ever heard of before. And I want to start in Edmonton now and ask you about Miko Koskinen, who didn't get a game in until last Saturday when he was in net for a big 5-3 win over the National Predators. And then after Camp Talbot took the loss against Minnesota on Tuesday, Koskinen got the Thursday start versus Chicago, where he turned in a 40-save shutout. Amazing. So then Koskinen was rewarded with the start again yesterday, second start in a row, where he only stopped 23 of 26 shots, but that was good enough for a 4-3 win over Detroit. So at this point, we've got Miko Koskinen 3-0 on the season with a 9.35 save percentage, while Cam Talbot is having a much more pedestrian season. He's 5-4-1 with a 9.04 save percentage. Brian, who is this Miko Koskinen guy? Do you think he's going to threaten for starts? Should Talbot owners be worried? This seems like a concerning situation. I don't know. Not Maybe not to the Halak Rask level, but maybe a minor version of that at this point. Generally, when you ask who is this guy, we have some, you know, at least we're looking at someone who was picked in the 2011 or 2012 entry draft. For Koskinen, we've got to go all the way back to 2009 when the Isles made him their second round selection. He's a six foot seven goalie. I guess that's what they liked about him, but he did not hang around very long in North America. He played just 49 North American professional hockey games between the NHL, AHL, and ECHL before packing his stuff, heading back to Finland, and then Russia, where as a 30-year-old, he won 22 of his 29 starts for St. Petersburg SKA, or SKA, while sharing the net uh, with the goalie prospects a lot of us might be familiar with, named Igor Shostyorkin. And Koskinen was fantastic playing in Russia in his last season. He was a not, he had 9.37 save percentage, but also his team was terribly stacked, like incredibly stacked. So, uh, I mean, give him props for his performance, but it was not all him. Also, uh, if we wanted to try and take a look at what he'd done in the NHL before this season when we were trying to project him, he played four games, uh, stopped 103 of 118 shots for an 873 save percentage. So this is why having such a long and circuitous path to being what seems like a full-time NHLer now, uh, this is why I think we're all kind of surprised that is working out. Here's the thing. Koskinen and Talbot haven't actually been that different at five on five so far. At least it's too soon to say that Koskinen has been better because he has not played uh, so many minutes. And to Talbot's credit, he has played above what an average NHL goalie would have been expected to, to offer in his place. But the difference between Koskinen and Talbot right now is their penalty kill performances are polar opposites. You have Miko Koskinen holding it down on the penalty kill incredibly well, and Talbot holding the third worst penalty kill save percentage in the league amongst goalies who've seen at least half an hour with the with the being a man down. 
But this stuff doesn't generally hold. Like penalty kill save percentage, as we mentioned earlier in the show, tends to be kind of volatile. So keep that in mind before you get too excited about what Koskinen's doing in Edmonton. I think it's still for sure Talbot's net, but maybe Talbot gets more rest than originally planned. And the Oilers brass could even just now have a reason to play Koskinen more often, only so they can puff up their chests and give a told you so to all the haters out there who suggested it was a silly idea to spend $2.5 million on a backup goalie who is essentially unproven in North America and had good numbers by virtue of playing for the best team in the KHL, uh, who, like, we're, we're probably right to say that and offer that critique, but now the Oilers could play Koskinen more often, or at least he's given them reason to play him more often to just uh, rub it in their faces that so far it's working out okay. Yeah, that's the thing with Edmonton. Like, you never know what they're going to do. I tell you, like, I think as a Cam Talbot owner, owner, I'd be a little bit nervous because I think they're going to run with the hot hand, especially they haven't had the most amazing start to the season. So, yeah, like, we'll have to see. And the goalies are so random, right? Like, Koskinen could have done nothing forever. And now all of a sudden, well, he was actually good, but you're saying, like, on this really good team in the KHL. But, like, he could still end up having a really great season. Stranger things have totally happened. And Cam Talbot, it's been a while since he's been really good. He struggled last year. He's not doing great this year. So I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility. I feel like I'd be looking to add Miko Koskinen in like most things. Like if all of the backup go- goalies are like, you know, if like all the starting goalies are owned and some backup goalies are owned, that would be the type of situation where, where I'd be at least thinking about grabbing Koskinen because whenever he does play, there's a decent chance the Oilers can get the win just because Connor McDavid could go off for a whole bunch of goals. Uh, speaking of the Oilers, Connor McDavid, Drake Kajula has gotten onto the top line and has three goals in his last two games. I guess I could ask you, is there anything there with Drake Kajula? Though, keep in mind, Ty Ratty is off the IR now, and I think the sense is he's going to get his line one spot back. Do I have that right? Forget about Kajula, even though he's been good in these last couple games? Yeah, exactly. Kajula is playing on the top line with Connor McDavid. That's all there is to it. You don't want him a moment beyond the time he spends on the top line. Yeah, and so uh, Ty Ratty will once again get this opportunity to play on the top line. Let's see if he can do something with it before he gets bumped for a Drake Kajula or a Yamamoto or whoever else gets a turn there as the season progresses. It'll be fun, Brian. We should keep track at the end of the year and then list off all the players who got to play with McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins on that line. Another line that's a lot like that is on Pittsburgh where the Sidney Crosby line keeps on changing. Like it's been Crosby, Gensel, and someone else all year long. Derek Broussard actually got onto that spot and he was looking really good there before he got injured. He had four assists in two games, but now he's missed the last four games with a lower body injury. I feel like Derek Broussard could be a good stash if you have room in your IR because maybe he could come back and get on the top line. Though in the meantime, Dominic Simone has been there and he is on a five-game point streak or he was on a five-game point streak before that got broken when Pittsburgh got shut out by Toronto yesterday. Simone has also been getting regular second power play time for whatever it's worth. So Brian, I got to ask you now, who is this guy, Dominic Simone? I know he's been there before for stretches last year, but there's maybe some new listeners who have no idea who this guy is. Is this your typical ride the guy playing with Crosby but don't expect it to last kind of thing? Same with Kajula. Or is there something to the 24-year-old Dominic Simone to think he could be the kind of guy that's worth holding in fantasy for a little bit? Simone is a former fifth-round pick of the Penguins coming from Prague, who caught our attention briefly last year when he picked up four goals and three assists for seven points over a nine-game stretch with a similar deployment bump to what he's seeing now. Um, I can't really say for sure, but it seems I'm not seeing any obvious untapped potential here. It's always hard to tease apart uh, offensive talent from just the Crosby effect when someone new does show up on the top line. Uh, Nonetheless, the answer is essentially the same as the ever-growing list 
of Penguins who do, who have gotten brief top line turns in the past. Uh, for Simone, good while he's with Crosby, forgettable when he's not, unless he ends up being fantastic. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Elon, remember, the closest things to being fantastic to play with Crosby in recent years were Sherry and Gensel. Like, those were the two guys who played with Crosby who we were like, these guys might actually be good away from Crosby. And both have really struggled to prove that. And Simone, I don't think, ranks ahead of either one of them. Right, yeah. So you could add one of them. Like, Pittsburgh plays Monday, Wednesday next week. So it might be a good short-term add, at least until Broussard is back or until he gets bumped. But yeah, long-term, it's hard to expect much from him. Though, it is the perfect kind of guy that you might want to get in your roster when you're playing Daily Fantasy on FanDuel. And what do you know, Brian? It's time to thank our other sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at FanDuel. Because hockey's been back for a while, and it means Daily Fantasy on FanDuel. It's like fantasy hockey for everyday fans. It's really fun because you're in your league, you drafted your team, you might be regretting, oh, why did I take Tuka Rask? What a disaster. Well, hey, what? guess what? You could have Yaroslav Halak whenever you want because you pick a new lineup every single day. And on FanDuel, there's something for everyone. There's lots of contests to choose from starting at just $1. You pick a contest, you choose your team, you watch your score in real time. It's a lot of fun. We've been doing our weekly FanDuel league and I don't really want to talk about last week because it didn't go well for me. And also, there was an especially big dagger in in my heart because the team that won was called Elon is a hoser 88 <laughs> and they had 177 points to my sad 98 points. So great job to that person who had gets laugh like Dylan Larkin, Timo Meyer. Like he called all the good goals. He got Auntie Ranta for the five, one win over Ottawa. I also had Ranta by the way. I feel like I'm getting screwed Brian because all of my like big name guys are the ones that aren't producing. I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job getting like the cheap guys, but then when I have money to spend this day, I took Panarin and Cam Atkinson expecting big things from Columbus against Detroit. And neither of those guys got a point. So what was me, but great job to Elon is a hoser. And Brian, how can our listeners get in on this Tuesday's contest? Our listeners can get in on this Tuesday contest uh, very easily. All you need to do is head on over to fanduel.com slash Carlson, spelled like Eric's last name. That's fanduel.com slash Carlson. And check this out. New users who join us are going to get a $5 deposit bonus when they make their first deposit on FanDuel. That could be you. Just head over to fanduel.com slash Carlson and uh, get your new deposit bonus. Also join us for this week's listener contest and show Elon what a hoser he is. You should be able to register early Tuesday morning, if not late Monday night. So what is a hoser? Like how bad of an insult is, I know what a poser is, and I feel like that would be a fair insult to call me that sometimes, but what is a hoser? I feel like it's just, isn't it from Bob Bob and Doug McKenzie? Yeah, like I know that it's like from that like fun Canadian, like, oh, hey, hoser. What? Like, but I, I, I want to know like exactly how much I should be insulted here. Someone let me know on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Call me a hoser, but give me a definition. I guess I could also look it up online and not be such an old man here. Maybe that's what a hoser is. Uh, okay, <laughs> since we're still on Pittsburgh and since we're still playing the who is this guy game, Brian, who is Jamie Alexiak? He went on a four-game point streak with six points in that span for the Penguins Like from their blue line. He's a defenseman since then, though he's been pointless in two games. But perhaps he made up for that for anyone who added him if you're in a hits league because he threw 11 hits in these last two games. Of course, Chris Letang missed a game earlier in the week, which caused many to wonder with Justin Schultz also out long-term. Well, Letang's back, by the way, but with Schultz out long-term, who's the Pittsburgh D-man? 
to grab. Like if let's say news comes out that Latang is out again and there's not an episode of Keeping Carlson for a while, let's give people a chance, like, you know, this news early so they could know who they should go for. Is like Oleksiak the guy to go for if Latang turns out to be out? Or is there someone else? Like he wasn't the one who got the top power play. Why don't you tell people who that was, who you like on the Pittsburgh blue line? Because that top power play can be very, very good. You want that defenseman on your team. People wondering who Alexiak is might recognize his name. Penny Alexiak, at least Canadians for sure remember her uh, impressive and incredible run in swimming, uh, whichever year the most recent Summer Olympics were. Anyway, Alexiak himself, if you're looking him up, like trying to figure out who is this guy, you might be really impressed that he was selected 14th overall in the 2011 draft. And you're like, ah, just the late bloomer. He's finally coming around. But he probably did not deserve uh, that pedigree that came with his draft position. He was one of several defensive whiffs that the Dallas Stars took at the draft table during Joe Newendike's reign of error. Alexiak has won the final mistakes at the draft table that Newendike made. Uh, there's no offensive upside with Alexiak, but you know, he can throw hits if those help you. If you're looking for the Pittsburgh Penguin who might run the power play in the absence of Justin Schultz and Chris Letang, you might be looking at a fellow named UC Ricola. He's the guy whose name I'm hearing is a Penguin with offensive upside that could quarterback the top unit. Uh, that said, Elon, you or I could probably quarterback that top unit and pick up a point here and there, which is why you want UC Ricola. Like, I, I don't even, who needs to know? who Ricola is other than that he gets to play on the top power play. If that happens, just keep an eye out for it. And you know what the jokes will be there. Ricola, that'll be so fun if you get, but hopefully just Crystal Tang will be fine. Like that was a little bit concerning when he just missed a game, but you know, if he's going to miss one game here or there, but be healthy generally for the season, that'd be great because the Tang is having an amazing season. I've even heard murmurings that maybe he could be the type of guy that wins a Norris trophy. If he, he could stay healthy all year. So where great. are you I, hearing these murmurings? I like Twitter, you know, where does anyone <laughs> hear anything nowadays? Yeah, I guess so. I, I, I haven't seen that, but that's interesting. He's having a good start to the year, and they tend to give it sometimes to people not who necessarily had the best season, but maybe someone who hasn't won it yet, like Drew Doughty. Oh, you're talking about Latang. Yeah, Latang. Who did you think Sorry. I was thinking of? Jamie I thought you were talking about Ricola. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Well, maybe in a few years. Uh, so patron Michael asked us to talk about Matt Murray. Another rough outing for him yesterday. He has an 890 save percentage in eight games on the season. Do we have anything new to say about Murray since the last time we brought him up? Are we looking at Casey DeSmith in the Koskinen or maybe like a Linus Olmark vein at this point as someone who may start to challenge soon for starts? Not like it hasn't been a good year for Murray. There's a lot of other goalies I'll get to in a second that hasn't been a good year for that people were expecting better from. I've been mentioning on our patrons only Facebook group for a little while now that Casey DeSmith is legit in the picture, in my mind at least. If I'm a Murray owner, I am sweating. I'm a Mike Smith, o- I'm a Mike Smith owner and a Sergei Bobrovsky owner, and I've been sweating about those two. But if I had Matt Murray, I wouldn't be feeling all the more comfortable. I think there's a growing possibility that Casey DeSmith starts one or two games per week, especially if Murray continues to struggle and really just can't settle in and DeSmith can string together a couple starts. I could see him getting at least a brief spell uh, like it, it could be a 1A, 1B situation if Murray does not pick up his game before too long. Ah, man, it's tough. Goalies are tough. Like Brian, Murray isn't the only high tier goalie struggling lately. Like Connor Hellebuck has only one good start in his last five. He's sitting at a 907 save percentage. Braden Holtby has been even worse. He has an 888 save percentage on the season through 10 games now. We talked about Bobrovsky's struggles last week. And while he had a couple good games in a row after that show, he put up a stinker versus LA yesterday. Let's not even start on Tuka Rask again. You mentioned Mike Smith. In general, it seems like, like uh, the one thing I will say is a little bit of an I told you so. Just to anyone who used an early draft pick or 
big auction money on a top goalie. Like maybe you hit on someone, like maybe you got Vasilevsky or Pekarine and you're laughing. You're like, no, it was totally worth the pick. But it seems to me like it's just so hard to know. Like even though you have your preseason rankings and you see which goalies are supposed to be the good ones, it seems like every year now, some are good, some are bad. There's no way to know. So I feel like the clear strategy going to next season, which was my strategy for this season, is let someone else use their high picks on these goalies. You know, you use your high picks for guys you could definitely rely on, like a Pasternak or whoever. Like it's it's more rare that a top couple round pick that's a skater does badly, even though Eric Carlson is maybe the exception to that rule right now. But yeah, then maybe like then you wait and try to take swing or like get a, a goal like later on like i'm not saying not to take goalies at all but maybe you could like someone this year could have gotten like a dubnik or a ranta a couple rounds later and they're laughing of course you could have also ended up with a jake allen like i did in the couple and that is a pain so i don't really have a question here but brian do you have anything to add i just feel like drafting goalies is so hard and unpredictable that you might as well just not waste a high pick on one yeah, that's that was our advice going into the season. And, and I mean, it's borne out for, for good reason that you can't rely on goalies, especially even a really good goalie week to week. Like it's so rare to find someone the way, say, Carey Price was in the prime of his career and his fantasy career when you knew if you were if you had Carey Price, you were going to win your goaltending stats. But there are so few goalies who have ever been able to really offer that sort of consistency because one or two rough starts in a week does you win and that's where you put all your draft um your draft investments and the rest of your team isn't really able to pick up the slack so yeah you never want to go in too deep on a goalie it's been wild i've seen a couple people wanting to sell guys like hellebuck and holtby i'm wanting to sell them too low i mentioned i have bobrovsky myself i actually made a mistake i put a lot of money on sergey bobrovsky in our cupful auction draft because i thought everybody else was going to do the same and bid more uh, I just misread the market. Anyway, if you have one of these struggling goalies, hang in there. Um, maybe you can make an offer to buy low on one of these struggling goalies if you don't have them. But if you do, just still be ready. Like, don't throw the farm or even half the farm at them because every goalie is forever vulnerable to goalie things happening to them. Yeah, exactly. Like you could have Hellebuck and think, okay, I got to get a better goalie. He's not doing it for me. I'm going to trade for Vasilevsky. You said Hellebuck and another like good piece to get Vasilevsky. And then a couple months from now, Hellebuck's doing really well and Vasilevsky's not doing well. So if you have one of these guys, you hold on, hope for the best. If it's someone like Matt Murray, then you maybe have to be nervous and grab a Casey to Smith just to have a handcuff there, which sucks to have to waste a roster spot on a backup goalie that you didn't expect to challenge at all. But them's the breaks in fantasy sometimes. But I did mention Auntie Rata, who's doing well. Those Coyotes overall just keep on winning. All of a sudden, it seems like like this team is really good and they have a bunch of potential streamers to add like uh, now this team is scoring we have to start looking at who are some of these guys aside from just the top line and power play who might be worth grabbing in fantasy especially with arizona having a plump four game schedule next week like brian here i'll just name a few guys maybe you'll even have some others but like you've got alex goligoski he's been on fire lately he has one goal and six assists in his last four games he's seeing over 40 percent of his team's power play time which is pretty good like i guess arizona's going close to 50 50 we thought just like oliver ekman larson and the top power play and would get the most time that alex goligoski is getting in there He's also getting you great hits and blocks. He's getting points. He's doing it all. Seems like he should no longer be in free agency, especially in deep bangers and mash leagues. There's this line, Grabner, Richardson, and Hinnestroza. They've been producing with the first two. Like Grabner and Richardson each are on a four-game point streak at this point. Michael Grabner specifically, he scored 27 goals in each of the past two seasons. Now he's heating up again. Do you think he can do it again this season? It seems like he's on track for it. Then you have Derek Stepan, who is refusing to drop off, even though he's been reduced to being a middle sixer, playing with Brendan Perlini 
Delaney and Christian Fisher recently. Stepan's still on the top power play with like Alchenyuk and Keller and OEL. So it's not a terrible position for him, but still like I'm surprised that Stepan has six points in his last six games. He had a slow start, but he's really heated up. He's a perennial 55 point center and he's only owned in 16% of Yahoo leagues right now. Do you think he can approach that number again, even though he's away from Keller at even strength? Okay, first off, Michael Grabner, he loves picking up his points in unconventional ways. So far this season, he has four shorthanded points. That's incredible. Uh, You should also remember that Grabner had seven empty net goals last year, which is why he he just likes to find these weird categories in which he contributes to uh, that generally aren't counted in fantasy leagues, although shorthanded points. Anyway, he probably wasn't on your roster. Uh, None of Grabner's three goals this season so far have been on an empty net, but one of his assists was anyway, uh, just to get past that. Grabner has been a pretty strong five on five scorer. He has not relied on power play goals at all. In fact, he has none to speak of in recent years, but still he's just like a depth contributor, both for the coyotes and for your fantasy team. Uh, there's no way in my mind that Grabner gets to 27 goals without another six or seven going into an empty net first. And then Derek Stepan, great for him. Way to go, Derek, for for picking up your socks and finally producing once you're away from Clayton Keller. What are you doing? You're really showing all those chumps who dropped you after Galchenyuk's return. Uh, Just, I was one of those chumps. I dropped Stepan in two leagues and missed out on his recent production, which is a bummer. I think if I'm looking at him for the rest of the season, I still think Stepan is probably more in the region of 50 to 55 points rather than 55 to 60 points while playing away from Clayton Keller. Uh, It's also nice, even if he is away from Clayton Keller, that Stepan is taking some shots again. He has 11 shots in his last three games. So that's a way that players like Stepan, who play center and get a lot of assists, don't often help you by putting up three shots per game. But Stepan is one of those guys who does. Mm -hmm, Yeah, and like center is a tough position. Like sometimes teams have too many centers. You don't need Stepan. You actually, Brian, didn't answer about Alex Goligoski. He's actually the one that interests me the most. I've got to get you to circle back to him. Yeah, so this is what Goligoski does, right? He goes on little runs from time to time. And he's been a reliable peripherals guy who can land between 35, 40 points for, well, it feels like going on a few years now. Uh, One reason why Goligoski has a near 50-point pace right now and it won't last He has a 133% five-on-five IPP. You heard that right, 133%, which means he's gotten a point on every goal scored while he's been on the ice at five-on-five, and he also got a point on a goal scored while he was not on the ice at five-on-five, like he, he made a pass and then went off for a line change and someone scored shortly after. Okay, so it sounds like you're saying Goligoski is not going to be able to keep up what he's been doing so far. But even if he could just be like a 35, 40 point defenseman yeah. who gets peripherals, like he's the kind of guy that he keeps doing it and seems like he's going to be in for another decent season. He's getting great deployment and he's getting some points. I yeah, like him. That's, that's exactly what you get with Goligoski. You don't want to trick yourself into thinking that he's going to be putting up a lot of points. But 35 points plus steady peripherals is something you can pretty much set your watch to with him. Yeah, and maybe more specifically, next week, four games for Arizona. I'm calling two points. Why not? This team is scoring so many goals right now. Uh, Brian, I made a trade in the Cacuffle last week. The Cacuffle, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. I'm in Tier 2 against some tough competition, and I sent Oscar Clefbaum to Ryan's Geistbars. I hope I'm spelling that right. Maybe Geistbars for Eric Stahl. 
So I'm very happy to have Eric Stahl. Not that I don't believe in Oscar Clefbaum. He's been really actually impressive this season and he had a slow start, but he's been looking good lately. But I actually have him in all three of my leagues. So I was kind of happy to diversify my portfolio a little bit. And I get Eric Stahl and let's talk about him because he has, he like, don't forget, Stahl had 42 goals and 76 points last season. But I still feel like he's underrated just maybe due to those bad couple final years he had in Carolina and then that terrible stretch on the Rangers before he got to the Minnesota Wild. But Minnesota's off to a great start this season. And a lot of it is due to their group of like age 30 plus veterans stepping up with like Parisi, Suter, Stahl. All of them have 11 or 12 points in 13 games, like near point per game. So in general with Minnesota, like do you think these guys can all keep up these productive paces throughout the rest of the season? Or is there one of them in particular that you expect is going to slow down at some point? Because it's hard to imagine all of these older players can be like this productive, like putting up career years. Ryan Suter is my pick uh, to be the player who is most likely to fall off his pace of the older folk in Minnesota between Suter, Stahl, and Parisi. Ryan Suter scored three times on 23 shots, which is a little too often. And here's the real thing. Suter has nine assists on the air. Seven of those nine have been secondary Uh, which is not something that's always sustainable. Uh, Sometimes it is, but I'm not sure it is here in Ryan Suter's case where, you know, I'd much rather he had a greater ratio of primary assists uh, to secondary assists. As for which of the three is going to be most likely to keep up what they're doing, Eric Stahl is my pick. And then for Zach Parisi, man, I, I just feel like it's the first time we're seeing healthy Parisi in good deployment in so long. And it's so nice to see he's still got something in the tank. Yeah, and I guess that makes it him tough to predict because we haven't seen it for so long. Hard to know. He used to be a guy you could rely on for like so many shots and like 40 goals. and He's just such an amazing player. So far, so good. We'll see what happens as they move forward. This Minnesota Wild team is looking good as they always do. Let's see if they can actually win a playoff series uh, this year. Uh, So just like Eric Stahl, you've got Josh Bailey, who went into the season with many expecting him to be hard-pressed to match his 70-plus breakout from last season especially for Bailey with Tavares out of the picture it seemed like he probably and especially when we saw that he wasn't going to be playing with Barzil I think he started with Barzil he got bumped off that line but doesn't matter so far so great for Josh Bailey as he's on an eight game point streak he's up to 15 points in 13 games on the season Brian I got him as a free agent in the couple unbelievable But like, okay, we already covered the Islanders forwards recently. So unless you have something you want to bring up about any of them, I kind of want to go and dig right into the goalie situation with you as things have gotten really interesting there. But do you have anything in general to say about Josh Bailey or these forwards? I know we've already talked about them a lot. A lot of them are doing really, really well. Yeah, I think we've said what we've needed to say. Brock Nelson also, like, I feel like he might be the Vince Dunn of forwards in your league where somehow there are a couple leagues out there where he's still not owned and that should not be the case. Yeah, I mean, with Brock Nelson, like, I can understand he's not on the top power play. So even though he's on a good run, maybe he's not going to be able to keep it up the same as someone like Vince Dunn. But yeah, definitely playing with Bailey and Andersley is proving to be a really nice deployment for Brock Nelson. Jan Kovar, we thought would be there, but it's not him. It's Brock Nelson. He's doing great. But okay, let's talk about the goalies now. Thomas Grice, he led off the season with an amazing game against Carolina, but then went on to lose a couple in a row. And then it looked like Robin Leonard was going to take the job as he got four games in a row at one point. He had been fantastic. Like overall, Robin Leonard's up to a nine. 28 save percentage in seven games. But then Leonard left Tuesday's game versus Pittsburgh after the second period with a back injury. 
Grice took over and has now put up two great games in a row, beating the Penguins on Thursday, stopping 29 to 31 shots, and then shutting out the Devils yesterday, stopping 35. Now we've got Leonard healthy and back in the picture, and the Islanders are in a situation they haven't been in in a while. They have two really strong-looking goaltenders right now who both deserve starts. You've got Leonard with that 928 save percentage. That looks paltry compared to Grice's 944 save percentage. So, Brian, how do you expect things to shake out moving forward? It's kind of like Carolina, but the reverse. Like we have no way, there's no way to know who's going to be the goalie because both have been so, so good. Like, do you have any guess as to who's going to get more starts overall? Or is this just going to be a 50, 50 situation? Like I asked before, do you drop, like, let's say if you have like a Scott Darling, do you drop him or it's like a Jack Campbell who we talked about on the last show? Like, do you drop him for one of these guys? Like Grice and Leonard are both looking so good, but it's so hard to know which one's going to get the games. First, let's just give them both a hand. You sort of just did, but we've got to give it up for both Robin Lehner and Thomas Grice. The unlikely couple have combined to deliver the fourth highest team five-on-five save percentage in the entire NHL so far this season. Both Grice and Lehner are playing above the quality a league average goalie would have delivered. And that's not such a surprise for Thomas Grice, who we knew, like we knew he was capable of that the same way we knew Halak could be better with a little more support and help in front of him. But for Robin Lehner, this is the kind of news that we've been waiting a long time for. It's just a small sampling of games, so we're not going to jump to any conclusions. The jury remains out on whether Lehner is a better or worse than average NHL goaltender. Uh, so we'll wait and see how that plays out over the next 10 or 20 games. But it's a nice early result. If we're comparing Grice and Lehner uh, against the other to see who's going to get more starts, the difference between them has largely come on the penalty kill where Grice has outperformed expectations and Lehner has fallen short. Even once those shorthanded save percentages regress, though, I'm still giving Thomas Grice the upper hand based on past results. Uh, that he he just has a better track record of goaltending than Robin Lehner. But also keep in mind, we've never really seen Robin Lehner uh, in this context. For one, he's sober, as that uh, fantastic article on, I think it was on The Athletic, uh, talked about at the start of the year. And two, he's not playing behind a very bad Buffalo Sabres team this year. So those are two new things that we're sort of seeing how they affect his numbers and how he, uh, how capable he proves in these situations. I could see uh, them both playing well. I could see Grayson Lehner splitting starts the whole rest of the season. But if I had to pick one to get more, it would be Thomas Grace. Yeah. And like the goalie situation in the league, that was so interesting. Like I bet you there's a lot of fantasy leagues with a lot of these goalies we've talked about. Plus like a Jack Campbell who we talked about last week, you know, like there's a lot of goalies who are very interesting. Some doing well, some not doing well that we expected to be the opposite. So yeah, bring us your questions at, Keeping Carlson on Twitter, we'd be happy to try to help you decide which goalie to add. If you're going to ask us, should I add this goalie or whatever, you got to give us a lot of context. We got to know who your goalies are, what's your situation, who else is in free agency. Help us help you. And okay, speaking of goalies on the other side of the spectrum, let's talk about Philadelphia, who are having the opposite luck with goalies as the Islanders and Brian. By the way, did you get the reference there? Spectrum, remember the stadium in Philadelphia? Good one. I, I felt clever when I wrote that. Anyways, Neuwirth is hurt again. He was sent home to see the doctor. I think, like, at some point we have to just say we forget about Neuberth, right? Like, poor guy. Like, I, he might even just need to retire. Like, he can't get healthy. I don't know. Like, I feel like at this point, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if he, like, doesn't play again for the rest of the season. We don't even know what's wrong with him yet. He's only day-to-day for now. 
Brian Elliott won two games in a row, letting in only two goals in each of those games. Uh, but now apparently he's injured, which is something I didn't even know when I was prepping for this show. This is news that came out today, so we don't know what's going on with him. Calvin Pickard was decent enough to get a point yesterday before losing an OT to San Jose. Uh, Carter Hart has been struggling in the minors, so it seems like he's probably not going to get the call up this year. So maybe, I don't know, an Alex Lyon or a Stoli the Goldie gets called up if Brian Elliott is hurt. Just like a crazy situation. Like, I wanted to just ask you about Brian Elliott, actually. Like, you were you were actually higher than most on Elliott going into the season. So far, he's been very weak, right? He has an 893 save percentage, but he's been looking better recently. He's had two good games in a row. Do you think Elliott could be a decent buy low or free agent ad at this point? Or do you expect him to struggle to get around a 900 save percentage? And that's, of course, assuming he's even healthy. If not, then I guess we have to talk about if people should be rushing to add Calvin Pickard, which is like, I, I wouldn't even be confident in him getting a bunch of starts. Like, I feel like whoever they call up would be just as likely as Pickard to get games. I'm still feeling hopeful about a healthy Brian Elliott, who's actually done better in his crease than half the league would have, according to uh, his expected save percentage marker and his actual five on five save percentage. And that just speaks to how brutal the Flyers have been in front of Brian Elliott. And so I still like him to be decent so long as the team in front of him can be decent. And I like Elliot more now that Neuverth is out. Uh, I, I thought Michael Neuverth was going to pose a legitimate challenge to Elliot this season, but health-wise, that's just uh, too much for him to be able to handle. So that's why I think you should uh, consider Brian Elliott the starter in Philadelphia for as long as he's healthy. Uh, and if he's not, I guess it's Calvin Pickard. Yeah, or not. Like, I don't know. It's a really tough situation. And the T, and it's not even like their offense has been so good. Like, Philly is in trouble lately, right? They've been doing wonky stuff to their power play, which is crazy. This was one of the most reliable power plays for the last couple of years. It would never change. But yesterday, they had Giroux, Couturier, Konechny, Nolan Patrick, and Gostas Beher on one unit. And then Simmons, Voracek, Jordan Wheel, Provorov, and Sanheim on the other. So they brought down Voracek and Simmons, and they brought up, I guess, Konechny and Nolan Patrick, though both were getting around 50% of the power play time. And actually, yesterday was the first game that Gostas Beher had with less than 50% of power play time in the whole season and Ghost Bear has not been good this season. He only has five points in 14 games. Brett, patron Brett, asked us to bring him up on this show. Brett, are you still into Gosses Behar as an obvious buy low? Or do we have to start downgrading our expectations as he continues to struggle? Like, this is a guy who was actually dropped in one of my leagues. And there was a big argument about whether the drop should be vetoed because they thought it was, like, too big of an advantage to the team who had number one on the waiver priority. But, like, I don't know. Like, Gosses Behar is struggling. And I don't Like, I know that he's prob- you're probably going to say he's a buy low. But, like, at what point would you start to say that you need to be concerned and maybe not think of him as like a 70 point guy, maybe bring him down to like a 60 point guy and then go from there, maybe even worse. Wait a sec. What happened? Someone dropped him and then people wanted to veto a drop. What happened? Yeah. So it, it was in PHL. He was dropped. And then people like wrote in the chat room, like, no, no, this isn't kosher. It's the same as like a badger, you know, ruins the league's fairness. Cause this is a league where it's really hard to find defensemen in free agency. It's like, oh, so unfair. The team with the top waiver priority now gets a free gossip hair. And they were saying that we want this to be overruled and have Gosses Behar just put back on that owner's roster and maybe like replace that owner. But in the end, the management decided that the drop was fair and you can't argue with them because he's not like some crazy drop that you would never expect to see anywhere because he only has five points in 14 games. If his name wasn't Shane Gosses Behar, no one would blink an eye at this drop. True. I would just be very curious to see the rest of this owner's roster uh, very interesting to to the thought. Like, there are can't cut lists, right? I guess Goss Despair just didn't make this owners. Anyway, 
I look at Shane Goss's various numbers and I just see everything on the wrong side of various low on ice shooting percentage, low IPP, low everything. Uh, the one thing that we can hold him responsible for are that his shot and shot attempt rates are a little down, but not enough to explain this big a dip. Um, so I am not going to get so, uh, I'm not going to drop Shingas's bear from my roster. I'm not going to do anything close to that. I'm just going to hang on. I'm going to throw a couple buy low offers, see what I can get for him. Uh, he's still got to be the guy. And I think a 60 point floor is still very reasonable. Like I'm still calling that his floor for what he, he is able to do personally and what the personnel around him are also able to do. Like the Flyers have one of the best power play teams in the league with Giroux and Voracek and Van Riemsdyk when he's healthy or Simmons, they've got the personnel things just need to start working out a little better for them than like, I, I don't think they've quite gotten what they've deserved yet. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, Brian. Like, okay, you mentioned Ryan Suter as a sell high earlier. Like, you didn't think that he'll be able to keep up what he's doing. Would you, as a Ryan Suter owner, be making an offer for Gossespeher? Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Let's remember, everyone, write that down and message us, because I'm starting to get concerned, especially now that they're shaking up the power play. I wonder at what point maybe Provorov gets a shot. Like, it, it was a couple years ago that Gossespeher... Like, I think last year, Gossespeher, like, it really impro- uh, impressed everyone, right? Like, the year before, he wasn't as good, and then last year, he, like, broke out and was fantastic. Maybe he's, like, not as reliable as we think, but obviously, you're still into him, so let's give him a few more weeks, and then I'll bring him up on the show again if nothing has changed. And if it has changed, I'll give you your deserved kudos. On a positive note in Philly, if there is one, Nolan Patrick is currently riding a three-game point streak. He's up to seven points in 11 games on the season. Now, with an increased power play role, this might be the last time you'll be able to get... Nolan Patrick out of free agency before he becomes a solid must own for the rest of the season and maybe for years to come. Like this might be your last chance to get him. So if, especially in a keeper league, but even in a one-year league, I think now's the time to strongly consider grabbing Nolan Patrick if you have room for a center. Yeah. And also keep an eye on the Flyers new lines. They seem to be playing with their power play setups a little bit. Uh, one of them recently had Patrick uh, playing on the second line with Voracek at even strength and on the top power play unit. And also if anyone's still waiting on uh, Travis Konechny, like I am, he was on the top line and top power play last game. So hopefully, so, so, like something is just not working in Philadelphia. In fact, I'm surprised that LA fired their coach before Philadelphia did this season. Things have been really bad. Yeah, really bad. And it's not going to get better, especially if Brian Elliott is injured. And we'll get to LA in a second, Brian. One more uh, hot or cold streak before we end the show on a lightning round. But okay, Miro Heiskanen, or Heiskanen as I should say, uh, he's been playing on the Dallas top power play in the last couple of games, playing with Ben, Sagan, Spezza, and Klingberg. Heiskanen only has four points in 13 games on the season, but I'd definitely be into him right now while he's in that spot. Brian, like, I'd just be curious to know if you agree. Like, it's tough always on the podcast to recommend someone who's actually not producing, but I just have a hunch about Miro Haskin and that he could have a good stretch coming soon if he's going to stay on this amazing Dallas top power play. He's such a high pedigree prospect. Ottawa wasn't able to get him for Eric Carlson. And I don't know, like, I'd be curious to know, like, who would you add right now, let's say, between Haskin or Alice Goligoski if both were available and they both had similar schedules? If both are available, I'll take Haskin because he's got the upside that we can hope for, especially with this little bump in deployment, whereas Goligoski, everybody knows who he is. And if he's still sitting in free agency right now, he's probably going to be there in a week or two weeks from now when you are done waiting on Heiskanen's upside. But Elon, I'm going to, I'll adjust your question to force me. Like both are going to be gone tomorrow. I can add one today, Goligoski or Heiskanen. Ah, 
I don't know. Who would you add? Like, I was going to say Heiskanen, but I, you know me. I like the steady guy. Well, first of all, Brian, I went to a lot of effort, and I think you're the one who even told me that his name is pronounced Heiskanen and not Heiskanen. Stop saying Heiskanen. We're done with I know. I blew it with Fabry earlier also. I feel like it, we're at, like, this reverse correction part where I just assume we're getting it wrong, and I know I've been corrected on a name, so I go to, like, the opposite of what I feel inclined to say. Wait, so I was right about Fabry the whole time? Yeah, you were right about Fabry. Right, I think at this point, I know all the name pronunciations. Just go (laughs) with what I say. It's been a long time since I got one wrong, I think. I I don't think that's true, uh, but you're right in this case. Hashtag Team Brian or hashtag Team Elon. Oh, come on. (laughs) I've been feeding you name pronunciations all season. Yeah, and I'm learning them. I'm grokking it, and now I know it. What do you mean grokking it? It's a a programming saying, Brian. Get with the culture, (laughs) okay? Not everyone's a teacher. Uh, What what did you ask me, Haskinen or Goligoski? Yeah. I mean, I think in a bangers league, I'm going to go Goligoski because he's just a more reliable option, but... It, like you know it, but also it's like if it's in a league where i'm streaming and i don't necessarily need the hits and blocks hayskin like it definitely has a higher offensive upside but Golikowski has a decent upside himself for at least like 40 points i don't know how much more i'd be expecting from hayskin so actually just give me Golikowski. if there, if it's points only then give me hayskin is that is that similar to what you would say yeah i'm with you okay so let's end the show with just a couple follow-ups quick lightning round here uh on buffalo the eichel Pominville skinner line continues to roll buffalo only plays two games next week but still i feel like if Pominville is still in free agency in your league you're you're at the circus at this point right like it's not only a clown league you're at a full-blown circus Pominville was on a seven game point streak before today's game and maybe we could just cut him some slack buffalo was on the second half of a back-to-back Thankfully, they scored one goal, so Lundqvist didn't get that shutout that we were hoping to avoid. Uh, Pominville didn't get in on it, but before that, Pominville was on a seven-game point streak. Four of those were multi-point games, four-plus shots in four of those games. So Pominville's just been a stud. I can't believe I missed out on him in all of my leagues. Now he's on the top line, top power play. It's rolling. Did you get him in any of your leagues, Brian? You've always been a big fan of Pominville. I have been, and the one year that I don't rush to grab him, and like in spite of myself, don't pick him up, because it's been my inclination forever, uh, is the year that he's uh, he's actually going to be for real on the top line for a little while. And and the funny thing is I had Sherry earlier in the season for playing in that exact spot. Uh, so I'm kicking myself for missing it on Pominville. And anybody who happens to be in a circus with Pominville available in free agency, go get him. Go get him. And also congratulations to Jason Pominville just played his 1,000th game recently. And you'll hear Dave talk about how that was a good indicator that he was going to have a big game in the Stream Scheme episode, which is available, like I said, for patrons of Keaton Carlson. Uh, we talked about Jonathan Quick's injury last week, so there's not too much more to say. I'd imagine he's now, though, on long-term IR. So before we didn't know how long he'll be out, now it seems like he's going to be out for a long time. And that means you, if you didn't grab Jack Campbell, and if he's still out there, he's probably not. But like, I think like he's a must own at this point. By the way, LA had a nice win versus Columbus yesterday. Campbell stopped 26 of 27 shots. Like uh, maybe LA could turn things around. Dustin Brown is back and they've been a lot better. At QuayJP asked on Twitter if Budai could maybe steal the job. And I answered saying that I highly doubt it. I think Jack Campbell's going to get a ton of starts moving forward. I don't think Budai has it in him. Do you agree with me there? Yes. Okay. Uh, and then, like, yeah, like I said, like, it seems like finally, also, LA's finally landed on some forward lines that are working for them after this whole time. So they've had Kopitar with Dustin Brown and Ayafalo, and then Jeff Carter with Kovalchuk and Toffoli. 
Dustin Brown had a huge game yesterday. Kopitar, Carter, Kovalchuk all had good weeks. Looks like everything is finally settling for the clear LA forward owns. Like if you drafted these guys, hopefully you didn't drop them because now everyone is looking pretty good. Wait, but but not Tyler Toffoli, right? Oh. One point in his last four games, only six shots in that time. Yeah, well, that was the one guy who's never like been a reliable own. So I wasn't including him. I was talking about Brown, Kopitar, Carter, Kovalchuk. The two disappointing guys on LA right now that might still be owned. I agree with you on Toffoli and then also Jake Muzzin. They were both dropped, Brian, in our joint league. Are you into either of them or are they both snoozers at this point? Muzzin has been especially terrible. He's just had three assists on the season and no blocks in the last four games. Like Muzzin was always like a really great peripherals guy that also got you points. Now he's not even getting you the peripherals. So I feel like, I don't know, maybe just get rid of him to Foley. I might hang on to, or maybe we should add just because he's playing on this line with Carter and Kovalchuk, which is kind of a new thing. I'd like to see how he could do there. Of course, things might change. Breaking news, John Stevens was fired. As the coach, they have an interim coach right now, and who knows, maybe things will get shaken up. I doubt they'll do this because this would be really dumb, but maybe they go back to putting Muzzin on the top power play, going three forwards to defense, but they're not going to do that, right? But I don't know. That's the one hope that I would have as a Muzzin owner. Well, the new coach is former Canucks coach Willie Desjardins, and so anything seems possible with Big Willie behind the bench, making getting to make whatever decisions he chooses to make. Uh, Jake Muzzin, of course, was the casualty of the long-awaited switch in L.A. from the three-forward, two-defenseman setup to a four-forward, one-defenseman setup. So we knew this was coming, and we'd always protected ourselves against it when drafting, and now it finally did when we sort of, like, I feel like a lot of people let their guards down. It's just like, oh, yeah, LA, like Muzzin's a forward on the power play, essentially. That's just how it's always going to be. So, yeah, that hurts his value a lot. And Tyler Toffoli, who, you know, we we saw get up to the 55-ish, 55-60 point range for in his uh, second and third seasons in the league. And we thought he'd be able to stay there. Uh, in his fourth and fifth seasons, he showed that he could not quite hold uh, a 55 60 point pace he's more between like a 45 50 point guy and that's what he is so far again this year so i am uh i'm a little over waiting for him to get going i, I mean he has had some unfavorable on ice shooting percentages recently which could account for some of the points he's missing but certainly not all of them interestingly you know you also like he's been one of the the casualties of LA taking so long to switch from a three forward to defenseman power play. He, he so fully is the sort of guy who would be on a top power play unit in several, for several teams around the league and at least uh, playing a big role on the second unit, but he's never really had the opportunity to get onto the top unit. He's had 12 points though, from the second unit uh, has been his career high. So good for him there. I wonder if this coaching change helps him get any time on the top unit i wouldn't count on it though yeah so like yeah who, I, i'd be okay to just leave him be yeah like who would he bump you know like he's not gonna bump kovalchuk or carter or kopitar or dustin brown like i feel like, like if there's an injury for one of those four guys then maybe it's your chance to grab tyler to foley though, though I, like i said he's on a good line right now it's kind of weird for the coach to get fired after a win i don't know how often that happens usually it's like after a really bad loss the team is just like ah forget it this guy sucks but uh well, yeah i'm interested to see if la changes anything because they just had this nice win but now they have a new coach brian let's end the show talking about the guy who we started the season talking about and who i feel like we've talked about every week but how can we not 
Elias Pedersen. Pedersen fever is running rampant. Like, he's so, so good. He's now up to nine goals and six assists in nine games after his five-point effort versus Colorado on Friday. So, again, that's nine goals in nine games plus six assists. Lots of debates happening in our patron-only Facebook group about Pedersen's keeper value at this point. Cameron, you know, Cameron Robinson, the prospect expert, he said he'd rather have Pedersen over Patrick Laine at this point in keeper leagues. Seems like the consensus for many was that you need to have a Mick or a Mac if you want to trade Pedersen. So McDavid or McKinnon is basically who you're looking for if you're trying to sell Elias Pedersen at this point. A lot of people were saying that Ryan R actually asked, I'm not sure if it was in jest or not, if Pedersen is even better than Connor McDavid himself. So, Brian, where do you land in all this madness? You actually said you still wanted Line over Elias Pettersson. Line, by the way, scored four goals in that Finland series, those two games, to get back on track after a really slow start to the year. But, yeah, Elias Pettersson just looking so, so good. Like, I feel like, yeah, it's hard to suggest people sell high on him for anyone. Like, just hold on. This guy's going to be just a gem. He's so good. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to get value that matches the hype. And, Elon, just to correct you, I think it was Chris... Like, I think Cam said... Only McDavid for Pedersen, and it was Chris L., our patron Chris L., who came up with the Mick or Mac role. In any case, uh, Pedersen's amazing. It's hard to know exactly what, like, his value is going to be completely different depending on whether or not you're in a keeper league or a one-year league or, like, what a center eligibility means for you. So, uh, I don't know, Elon, what's the question here? What I don't am I even have- do? Who will <laughs> I trade for Pedersen? I don't know. Like, there was that Line versus Pedersen question. But, like, really, there's nothing to say. Like, just Elias Pedersen's amazing, and I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're, good. We're, just, we're just worshiping at the altar of Elias because that's what we do in 2018-19. Yeah, it's the year of the Elias because Elias Lindholm keeps on rolling himself. We didn't get to Calgary today. But if we did, we would be talking about how David Riddick got a start yesterday, uh, second in a row. And also we'd be talking about how Elias Lindholm keeps on going. But no, Elias Pedersen, he is the real, real deal. He's the next Peter Forsberg. Who knows? Maybe even better. Anyone who listened to us and streamed Goldobin last week got three assists all on off days. So you're welcome. Uh, he was playing with Besser and Pedersen, and he still is. So that probably means you want to hold him for next week, though. Keep in mind, he wasn't on the top power play. Going into this week, we were looking at Goldobin on the top power play, but it looked like Louis Erickson bumped him from that spot. But still, like at this point, if you're playing with Pedersen, might be similar to us saying when you're playing with McDavid or when you're playing with Crosby. You want that guy. And right now, that's Nikolai Goldobin. Uh, yeah, but Brian... I guess that's it for the Canucks talk. And I think that's it for this episode. What do you think? Wow. Probably. Oh, a couple guys that I've been meaning to bring up for like two weeks now. So I'm a little late to this party. Uh, Well, Zach Bogosian was one of them, but he fell off after coming into the lineup hot, offering some points and peripherals. Uh, So forget him. Yunus Donskoy was another who has also sort of fallen off what was a a pretty good pace to start the year, but still someone... What? It kind of sounds like you did a good job by not bringing these guys up because <laughs> you would have just gotten people excited about them well, and no. then you would have they would have dropped someone for them. So good job. And now you're like blowing your spot up. <laughs> but they might have been helpful for the week. Like this, this is a list that I just keep forgetting to reference at the end of an episode. Uh, but it's very short. And the last one is a legit valuable player today. Um, the second last one is named Brandon Tanev, who if you're in a hits league, uh, was providing some elite hit value earlier in the season i think he's injured brian okay (laughs) and uh who's the other oh yeah the last one josh anderson how about him uh he had a game uh on november 1st which was i think a tuesday no it was a thursday he had eight hits four shots a goal and two blocks which is 
fantastic. The next game he picked up an assist. He actually has five points in his last five games, including uh, he, he's taken at least two shots or more in four of those last five. Uh, so far, he's playing. Uh, Columbus is playing Anaheim tonight. He hasn't registered anything yet, but he's a great depth forward who can get you a point on a given night and also is likely to help you at least with a couple shots and a couple hits if the points don't come and maybe even a block or two. Yeah, and Josh Anderson, I'm seeing he's been playing on, I guess, line two with Boone Jenner and Nick Foligno, and I guess probably also the second power play. Yep, he's been there. So yeah, he's got decent deployment. And like you say, helping you with peripherals. So he's a good guy to keep your eye on for sure. Brian, Foligno or Josh Anderson, who would you prefer? Oh, I'm going to go Foligno just because I think his deployment is going to hold more. But Josh Anderson is essentially the Boone Jenner that everybody has wanted to appear for like five years now. It's Josh Anderson. Okay, yeah. And uh, Felino, by the way, is off the top power play. It looks like Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones. Now Columbus is doing the thing with the two defensemen. And you can't really argue with that. They had that loss yesterday. Let's see how they do today versus Anaheim. But okay, Brian, we are done this week's show. This has been a lot of fun going through the league with you. I always enjoy it. Thanks to everyone who came on the ride with us. We really appreciate it. If you like the show, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think. We always love to hear your feedback at Keeping Carlson. We also love a five-star review on iTunes if you would be so kind as to give us that. If you're interested in supporting the show, you can become a patron of Keeping Carlson. Go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron for that. And you get a ton of perks. Too many perks for me to even list here. But like we got a Facebook group. We've got a bonus show every month. We just did a patron cast last Wednesday. It was a lot of fun. Still, I think a lot of good content there. If you want to jump in, become a $5 patron, you can go download that recent patron cast. We've got the stream scheme, another bonus show. That's for actually any patron level. You just sign up for any patron. You're going to get access to the stream scheme. Uh, what else do we get? We have show notes every week. Like you go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You'll see the whole kit and caboodle of all the things you could get for a mere $5 a month. Plus you help support this show that apparently you like enough to listen to for one and a half hours plus every Sunday. So yeah, uh, with that, Brian, though, I think I'm ready to cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, Autumn S., Jeremy C., and Ryan D. Uh, you already mentioned the iTunes review, so I'm going to skip that. Uh, it was research. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo!, Great job. As always, Brian, what a pleasure. I'll talk to you again next week. There's a small chance that we might do the show on Monday next week and not Sunday, so we'll keep you all advised on Facebook and Twitter if something is different. But we'll be back at you next week for sure. So thanks again, everyone, and talk to you soon. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson, even though it's hard. Uh, uh, so hard. Bye. Bye. Bye.